Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. I thought you were going to say nah. Yeah, I was like, I heard nah, and I was like, yeah, they are. I know. I, I was like, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> now back to our show. What's up? What's up? Welcome back to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Our theme this season is all about power couples. Like always, we will focus on the ladies from these dynamic duos. So no need to worry. In today's episode, we will tell the story of Ina Alto and Alyssa Alto. I'll explain more in a bit. But for those of you that don't know, Ina was the wife of the famous modernist architect Alvar Alto. But what you didn't know was that she herself was a Finnish architect and designer of many things. I'm Jessica Rogers, celebrating International Women's Day based out of Washington, D.C. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rahr, wearing purple and celebrating all the ladies out there from San Francisco. And I'm Nargeri Rivas. Shout out to all the mujeres from Houston, Texas. Did y'all know that this year's International Women's Day theme is hashtag break the bias? No. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> Every year they have a theme and this year hashtag break the bias means it's all about gender equality, equity and inclusion. So the more, you know, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now for our disclaimer, the three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment and we will all continue learning together. 
All right. So our story begins on January 25th, 1894 in Helsinki, where Aino Maria Mandelin was born as the 11th out of 13 children to Johanna and Juho Mandelin. 13 children is so many. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I actually lived in a house growing up that the previous family that owned it had 13 kids. Oh, my God. How many roofs did it have? Well, I mean, there were a lot of rooms, but it wasn't like every kid had their own room. It was it was like a situation where I think they kept adding on to the house. So it had it just was a weird layout. But I think a lot of the kids shared rooms. I hope so. That's interesting. I imagined a mansion at first, but you painted a different (laughs) picture. (laughs) Or wait, was it a mansion and you're being humble about it? Did you grow up in a mansion, Lizzie? (laughs) It was not a mansion. It was just like a rambling old house (laughs) with rooms off of rooms that... Or like Frankenstein together, perhaps. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Frankenstein house. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You know, keep it humble. All right. All right. But it was huge. Just Frank. Okay. Anyway. So for I know from my research, she lived a relatively comfortable life. Her family was a typical working class family. The mother was a homemaker. The father was a railway conductor. However, I did find out that in 1906, the family would change their last name from Mandolin to Marcio. Interesting. Do you know why they changed their name, Jessica? I feel like we've seen this with a few of our ladies before. We just talked about it this season with Dora God. Yeah. That's true. There are several reasons why someone would change their last name. I actually found out that this was something really easy to do back then. And in this case, I was able to find out that back then, when Aina was born, Finland was technically a self-governing republic of the Russian Empire. But in 1906, an electoral law came into effect, which, by the way, this law granted the women's right to vote, and it made it the first country in Europe to do that. Way to go, Finland. Self-governed. <laughs> yes. So... At the time, a lot of Finnish nationalists changed their Swedish name or some Russian sounding surnames to a more Finnish variation. So there you go. Hmm, Interesting. I like that. Going back to their roots. Oh, Mm -hmm. I can see me doing something like that if I had lived those times. Mm. Yeah. Okay. so back to Ina. So her family changed their last name. She grew up pretty normal. And in the fall of 1913, Aino enrolls at Helsinki's University of Technology to study architecture. She was one of only three women to enroll that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to go, Aino. <laughs> yeah. So she wasn't the first. And actually, Finland was one of the first countries to formally open up architecture studies to women. I'm loving all this progressiveness coming out of Finland. Me too. Mm-hmm. We should go visit this place. Oh, yes. Yes. Before we get ahead, right after graduation, Aino worked at a couple of firms in Helsinki, and then she moved north to Yavaskia to work at our homeboy, Alvar Alto's firm called Office of Architecture and Monumental Art by Alvar Alto in 1924. And by the way, Yavaskia was Alto's hometown. Okay, that's really (laughs) cute. But what is up with Alto's firm's name? (laughs) Office of Architecture and Monumental Art by Alva Alto. Like, what? 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> he was very sure of himself. Yeah. You know, yes. You know what? Let's talk real quick about Alvaralto while we're at it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Since we're there. You know, Mr. Humble yeah. was a Finnish architect and designer, and he was part of Siam with Corbu, Jane Drew, Frank Lloyd Wright, Minute de Silva, yada, 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 Starkitects. And he had this office of monumental art. So there you go. <laughs> Listeners, this guy was a big deal. Yeah. So <laughs> he was known for Scandinavian modernism. And his projects use a lot of natural materials from the area, like wood and particularly bent wood furniture. He also believed in designing the project as a whole, so would get into the details of furniture and hardware as well as like the overall architecture. As such, in Scandinavian communities, he is referred to as, quote, the father of modernism. Yes. So interesting fact, though, Alvar wanted to start his firm in Helsinki, but he wasn't getting the proper recognition that he wanted to. So that's why he ended up going back to his hometown so that he could have his hometown street cut. But anyway, yeah, Alvar Otto, he's an interesting dude. And in 1924, the same year as when Ainel begins working with him, they get married. Oh, snap. That was quick. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if they had a thing in college and then she like came back or if it was just a quick romance at the office. Yeah, it seems like there was something happening in order for her to move north and essentially elope. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes. There's a lot of unknown that Something we can only imagine. On. Yeah, okay. definitely. Something was definitely brewing. I'll fill in the gaps with my imagination. Mm-hmm. Yes. But what I can tell you is about their honeymoon. Because their honeymoon became an arc venture of Italy. During their Cute. trip, they were able to absorb a lot of the Italian modern influences that can be seen in Alto's first masonry building. The interiors of the Yavaskia Workers Club. Ay, sono gelosa di questa luna di miele. That sounds like a great honeymoon. Mustasukainen. Well, along with that project and a few others, Aina would give birth to a daughter named Johanna, or Hani for short, in 1925. Cute. I like that you say the daughter is another project. You know, I guess children are lifelong <laughs> projects. <laughs> yeah, lifelong projects. Something to be proud of, for sure. Yes. And with Aino, they would have another project when she gave birth to their son, Hamlikar Alto, in 1928. Hani and Hami. Suffer! <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Despite having kids, Aino was running things, okay? Together, Aino and Alvar, they worked Equally, however, in other accounts, the son, Hamlaker, Hami, would cause his mother doing the homemaker duties, then going to the firm and then to the job sites and basically doing it all while Alvor would lounge around, draw for a bit and then go take a nap. Seriously? Okay. Mm-hmm. First off, way to go, Aino, for being a boss lady mama. But Alvor, mm-hmm. listen. Mm. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Alvar did work on several projects, including their own home office, a.k.a. Villa Alto. Oh, yes. Villa Alto is actually a really cool project. The house was originally built in a very natural area, so you feel like you're surrounded by nature. 
And the organization of rooms tries to get as much natural south-facing light into the main spaces as possible. And what I remember most about it, though, was how the interiors were designed using natural materials. Lots of wood and burnished brass. And the design was so intricate, even down to the door hardware or the railing for the stairs. And it was very ergonomic and earthy modern almost. I feel like that's the best way I can describe it. It's very cozy. You know, this reminds me of Lena's glass house and how important it was for her to include nature into her project. There's something even more natural about the way Villa Alto approaches this. All the wood is very rustic and cozy, like you describe it, Lizzie. And I think that's what a home should feel like, cozy. Yeah. So I will say that this aspect of a rustic modern, that came from Alvor. He had a strong sense of nature and humans, very anti-chrome, robot machine era construction that other people might have seen. Well, that's probably why the Scandinavian style is so popular even to this day in home design, because it's very human and people want a home to feel human, not like a factory. Don't get me wrong. I love when warehouses are renovated into lofts, but sometimes they don't feel like a home. They need that soft wood nature touch, I think. Yeah, exactly. I feel like most people are afraid of a home labeled modern or contemporary because they assume it will be cold and not homey. It kind of reminds me of Hygge and how popular that has become. Wait, Lizzie, what's Hygge? So Hygge is a Danish word, and it's this concept of cozy and homey kind of. And so it's become mm -hmm. a really popular thing that people are trying to kind of like achieve in their home. Um, you know, th certain things are Hygge, like comfy socks or fires and like a cup, a hot cup of tea and a candle or something, you know, very kind of homey mm -hmm. and cozy. You're sitting inside on a war on a cold winter night next to the fire kind of thing. That sounds mm -hmm. nice, mm -hmm. especially now yeah. as it's really cold in Houston. How cold is cold? Shush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold for me. Okay. Okay. Well, speaking of cold and how cold it is in Houston, <laughs> mm. I also okay. think that modern is not necessarily cold. I yeah. think that modernism mm. is really misunderstood. Just just wanted to yeah. put that out there. <laughs> yeah. It can be hugga and modern. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But anyway, um, back to Villa Alto, Jessica. I'm about to rant on the word modern and we don't want to we don't have time for that. <laughs> we do not. So there you go. There's that. That's it. That's the famous Villa Alto in Helsinki. So before that, though, they had moved the firm and family to Turun to work on other projects, such as the Turun Sanomat building and another notable project called the Pamio Sanatorium, which is a tuberculosis treatment facility. Then they would later move to Helsinki and completed their home office, Villa Alto. What was Aino's role? Oh, so our girl Aino, she basically designed all of the interior and furnishings for all of these projects. While Alvar took naps? <laughs> <laughs> and okay, maybe he designed the exterior too between the naps? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they basically had this understanding that Alvar would work on the exterior and Aino would work on the interiors. So they were in sync with each other and they would offer full trust within each other's capabilities. That's good. I like that about a lot of our power couples this season, that they complement each other 
in the best ways. Yeah, it yep. sounds like they had a good division of labor and played to their strengths. Exactly. So Aino became really good with interior and furniture design. So much so that together with her hubby and two other people, they would create Artec, a separate company that produced and marketed some of their popular furnishings from their previous projects. Ooh, I love that they started a company together and that it still exists. I'm actually looking through the website right now. Their furniture looks really nice. Mm-hmm. Ooh, is that where the Bentwood furniture came into play? Yes. So reading how they talked about this uh, furniture company, it kind of reminded me of a future episode alert. We're going to do an episode on Ray Eames. Because like Ray, Aino's goal was to make these items that they're producing more accessible and practical so that they could be mass produced and sold through this company that they started. Mm. So anyway, I don't want to give too much just yet about Ray, but I know was basically the head of design and lead for all design developments. The amount of various furniture designs in her portfolio, we could compare to another future lady, Florence Noel, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Mm. Lots of good teasers for future episodes, Jessica. Stay tuned, listeners. Yes, so many exciting things happening. <laughs> um, but anyway, so a lot of the furnishings and interiors that she created with Alvar for his projects, they would get reproduced and sold through their Arctic company. Ihana, Are they all credited to just him on the site? Well, on the site, they do recognize Aino and include a short biography of her on their website, but they credit their glassware work I know, which I can talk a little bit more later. Mm, okay, good. They better. Mm. Yeah. So we mentioned a few of her and Alvor's projects earlier, but let's list some of their more famous ones and I know's role in each. Y'all ready? Yo! Men on yo! <laughs> First, the Baker House Dormitory at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I know did those interiors. Oh! <gasps> Ooh, this is a cool project. We studied this in school. Mm -hmm. And actually, my studio visited Boston one year and we all snuck into the dorm to try and look around. <laughs> oh, that's cool. How was it? <laughs> I mean, we didn't get too far, unfortunately. It's like very hard to get far. So we mostly just saw like the hallways. It looked like a dorm, you know, <laughs> exciting. <laughs> but I did love our professor was the one like leading the charge on trying to get into the building. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of stories we can swap of us trying to sneak sneak in mm, to buildings. Yes, yes, that could be a whole Shura episode. <laughs> yes. I also feel like architects and architecture adjacent folks should get a free visitor's pass to any building oh. just so that they can see it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the building was very cool. Good. OK, so speaking of cool, our next project, Villa Morea, which I think some of our listeners might be familiar with. Well, on the Arctic website, you can find a similar pendant lamp that Aino designed for the Villa Morea. I love that house. The interiors are very similar to Villa Alto with materials, and it just has that cozy hygge vibe. I love hearing that Aino was the one behind the designs. Yeah, I like the staircase in that project. Mm -hmm. And now that I know that it was mostly Aino, I like it even more. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so along with furniture and light fixtures and stair railings, Aino also became known for her glassware and textiles. 
So in my research, they made a lot of comparisons with Ino to our episode 32 lady, Eileen Gray. One, because they had that textile collection and the fact that they both had their own furniture slash textile store. Although if you can recall from Eileen's, hers was a short lived, whereas Ino's still exists today. Loving all the connections. And that's cool that mm-hmm. Ino still exists today. Mm-hmm. Gonna get me some Ino glasses. Mm. Okay, yes. So Ino's glassware pieces were noted to be very timeless, practical, and accessible. Okay, so not to toot her own horn, but to toot be beat because you guys know <laughs> those ribbed like glasses that you see all over Ikea? Not really, but I don't do a lot of shopping. Yeah, I can't quite picture them. My Ikea glasses are smooth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, when you see them, you'll definitely recognize them. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say this. Aino was the originator. Actually, I would argue that first came Aino, then came Ikea. Oh, that's a hot take. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) So basically, Aino's design influence lives in a lot of homes and people don't even know. Mm. Yup. And Aino's role in the company, Artec, was mostly as head of design. But with the passing of their managing director, Aino would step into that role in 1935. Take the wheel, Aino. Yeah. <laughs> so outside of work, Aino joined the Board of Architects, an association of female architects, similar to the group that she had back in college. And its goal was to improve the position and situation of female architects in Finland. Lifelong mission of Aino's. Mm. Mm-hmm. Then in 1946, Aino was diagnosed with cancer. But that didn't stop her. You know, our ladies. Because in 1947, Aino would attend a Siam meeting in Switzerland. Um, Alvor had attended meetings before, but this was the first record that I have seen of her attending those meetings, too. I think at some point we should have a charrette about the ladies of Siam. I mm. just started reading a paper on this subject, and we should discuss this more in the future. Mm. Yes, I agree. Well, ladies, on January 13th, 1949, at the age of just 54, I know, passed away. That's so sad. And so young. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it feels like the good are dying young this season. Mm. Yeah. So Alvor was, of course, heartbroken. Following his career, others would say that Aino's death was a pivotal moment in his, that his designs would become more monumental, that there's one aspect where Alvor got much bigger projects after her passing. There's that. But I would like to think that Alvor was doing those projects in honor of Aino. And when I think of the word monumental, I think of legacy buildings right and people might not live forever but buildings will and i believe that Aino's death made that very clear to alvor and how he would approach buildings afterwards that makes sense yeah that's interesting how that would like affect how he his design style changed mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so at the beginning of the episode i had mentioned another woman's name Alyssa, who became alvor's second wife oh right I've been so focused on I know that I forgot about Alyssa. Sorry, Alyssa. <laughs> oh, so he found love again? Yeah, like I totally mm-hmm. forgot that you mentioned someone else in the intro. I was mentally preparing my little Carrington monologue. So now this feels like a bonus. <laughs> bonus oh. episode. <laughs> yes, bonus it is. 
All right. <clears throat> Alyssa Chiesa Makinieme was born on November 22nd, 1922. So not much can be found on her life before she became an architect, but we could just jump to when she did become an architect in 1949 and started working at Alvar's office. Oh, an office romance part two. Alvar has mm-hmm. a type. Clearly. <laughs> I mean, well, they did get married in 1952. Okay, so there was a mourning period, at least, for I know. <laughs> There's a gap, but a little bit more. You're, you're jumping ahead of me. Oh. Okay, so Alyssa was working at Alto's office during a time when they were winning a lot of competitions and getting a lot of big commissions. But Alyssa was a hard worker. She soon became in charge of major projects like the Maison Louis Carré and the Sinatzalo Town Hall. Way to go, Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Love all the ladies taking charge on this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, I don't think her role in these projects was the same as Aino's, but I did read that Alvar would try to make Alyssa look like Aino and trusted her like his first wife, project-wise. But their work dynamic wasn't really defined. However, as you can imagine, Alvar being 24 years older than her, as he got older, Alyssa would take over more of his projects. 24 years! Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Wait, so he was just looking for an Aino replacement? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Uh, This is a little creepy. Yeah. Not as much the age difference, but the mini Aino he was trying to create. Yes. (laughs) Like, this is how thrillers start. (laughs) Some single white female vibe. (laughs) Yes. No, for Sounds real. Sounds to me though. like Alvar's morning period didn't quite end. Yes, I know. I was, I was like giving him the benefit of the doubt with the morning period, but I'm taking it back. <laughs> yeah, it gets kind of creepy. Like I, in my research, they would say of how like Alvar would want Alyssa to like dress like her, wear her hair like her, like oh, no. how the first wife did. Ooh. So yeah, it's, it's kind of that's a little bit much. I agree. The age thing is like that's a big gap, but you know, fine. But yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 strange, but, you know, everyone uh, grieves differently. And I mean, Alyssa didn't seem to mind. Yeah, you know, or she she didn't have time to worry. It's like, sure, you want me to dress up like her? I don't care because (laughs) because she was working her working her butt off. Yeah. Yeah, she was getting work done. Okay, she worked on the like together, Alyssa and Alvor, they worked on several projects together. One being their summer house, nicknamed the Experimental House, or the Murazzalo Experimental House. What was experimental about it? Okay, so not so much the house itself, but the experiments that Alvar would do there. Alvar was very interested in bricklaying as evidence in some of his designs. So at this house, he would experiment with several arrangements of brick surfaces. He would paint at this house. He would even work on a design for a fast motorboat that he would call Nemo Profeta in Patria, which translates to no man is a prophet in his own land. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the house itself wasn't an experiment, but he used it to try out different things and designs. So it was like his lab. Mad boat scientist vibes happening here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what can I say? The man was very eclectic. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Eccentric. I love it. 
So speaking of, on May 11th, 1976, Alvar Otto passed away at the age of 78 due to cancer. Oh, rest in peace, Alvar. Yes. So our girl, Alyssa, she would be the one to complete his projects. Like the Alto Theater in Essen, the Riola Church, the Sainayoki Civic Center, just to name a few. She would also lead the restoration and conservation of Alvor's earlier projects that he did with Aino, including the Vibberg Library. I appreciate that she was invested in protecting Aino's legacy as well as Alvor's. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, take all the control. Take, 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 take all the control. <laughs> a, A. Okay, so now Alyssa also worked on a few of her own projects, like the Villa Otaajo and the SOS Children's Village in Tapiola, Espo. She also designed some tactile patterns that made an appearance at a few exhibitions and was included in the Artex company portfolio. I like that she was able to keep going on her own. Yeah, good for Mm -hmm. her for doing her own thing. Yeah. Alyssa would become a long-term board member of the Arctic Company until she passed away from cancer as well at the age of 71 on April 13th, 1994. Cancer. Well, the relationship started out a little creepy, but Alyssa made the best of it, (laughs) it seems. So good for her and the legacy that she left behind. Yeah, Mm -hmm. agreed. It sounds like... In the end, she was able to find her own place, even though maybe Oliver started by wanting her to be more like I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about Alyssa just as much as I wanted to talk about I know, because to me, it seemed like there was this undiscussed respect that Alyssa had for I know mm-hmm. and the work that she had did with Alvar, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I imagine it must be very difficult to marry a widower and to feel like you have to fill a romantic and professional void that was left Mm -hmm. behind in this case. But like you say, in this case, it seems like Alyssa recognized all there was to learn from Aino and she did and moved forward. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. It sounds like Alyssa was very respectful of Aino and of the relationship that came before her. Yeah. So I also wanted to make sure to talk about both of these women because, yeah, we learned about Alto in school and studied his work. But it was Aino that should be credited for her her contributions at the beginning and Alyssa for continuing on their legacy afterwards. Yeah, there's this big chunk of the story that we're missing. And I'm so happy we got to fill some huge gaps today. It was Mm -hmm. really good to hear both stories together and to hear the parallels between I know and Alyssa. Agreed. Thank you for sharing both of their stories with us, Jessica. You got it, chicas. Mm. Okay, actually, let's pause for a quick word from our sponsors. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got some sponsors. What's yeah. up? Monograph is building a community of firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. Also, they're building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy to use and beautifully designed software allows you and your teams to know in near real time whether you are on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, and assign roles for the team members all in one place. Track a project's financial health with their unique Money Gantt, which takes your team's time and makes it simple to see whether you are on track for financial success. And 
use their firm-wide revenue forecast to make important strategic decisions. The best part of Monograph, it doesn't require a degree in finance to use. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. Okay, check this out, though. Starting today, March 8th through March 10th, Monograph will be hosting Section Cut, a virtual conference. Here, they'll bring firm owners, operations, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops on how to improve their businesses. There's even going to be an all-day virtual career fair where employers pitch their firms. You can register today to reserve a seat by visiting sectioncut.com or check out our show notes for a link. Yes, be sure to check out that link and head on over to the Section Cut Virtual Conference. Our friends and fellow podcasters, Evelyn Lee and Janine Shustain from Practice Disrupted will be speaking. Yeah. Today, we are also sponsored by NCARB's Analysis of Practice Study. NCARB's Analysis of Practice Study is your opportunity to shape the future of architecture, to share your thoughts on how to improve the profession and how architects can work and collaborate better. Whether you're an architect or you just work with architects, NCARB wants to hear from you. So make sure your voice is heard. Yeah. So contribute to the Analysis of Practice Study today. Sign up at ncarb.org backslash AOP. Thanks again to our sponsors for supporting our show. All right. Now back to the rest of our show. All right. Now we reach the second half of the episode, The Caryatid. Nardri, can you begin with your monologue, please? Yes. Here comes my monologue. <laughs> a caryatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. On each episode, we choose a caryatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. So this week's caryatid goes to... <laughs> Tavia Forbes and Monet Masters. <laughs> yes, that's right. We have a duo. Woo. Tavia and Monet together have an interior design firm called Forbes Masters. Based out of Atlanta, this duo met in 2012 working on a project when they decided to form their own company. So what I thought was interesting about this duo was that one, they are female black owned. OK, nice. and their partnership, they realized that they complemented each other. So what one person has or what one person doesn't have. The other person has that skill set. And together, it makes them create these beautiful designs. So I'll be sure to include a link of their um, to their website so that you can see their projects. Very colorful, very beautiful. Go Womenhood and Women Partnerships. Ooh, I love that. I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm going to check that out immediately. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's that's so interesting to hear, too. But I I think a lot of times that's the the best partnerships, right, where you kind of complement each other and have what the other one doesn't or I guess excel at what the other one doesn't like the three of us because we, we complement <laughs> each other so well oh. we were just talking about that other. okay i was anyway. gonna say like i know and oliver that too i mean yeah that too i mean that's why i when i read about tavia monet i instantly thought of i know and Alyssa. but yeah. hearing lizzie speak i thought about us three so that's right <laughs> three best friends okay anyway so here we are at the end of our show but before we sign off we want to give a kitosh to cmyk for the music john w our technical producer 
And most of all, kitosh for all of y'all listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Aino, Alyssa, and Tavia and Monet, along with our banter, and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, kitosh. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Did you know Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience that's dedicated to building a better world? Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Ole Kilti. Let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your significant others, your favorite furniture makers, your favorite interior designers. Give us five star on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then, shibashti. But I want to talk about um what what we were talking about. How do I bring it back? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of cold, what about this modern architecture? Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it, be a cost we're saying well what about carbon you know we've got two levers now that we can if, if an architect has an inefficient design we can hit them with two levers if you like <laughs> the official casualty figure is fifty-five thousand. everybody i talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much and i believe that i mean seeing what i saw turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations, that's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.